Welcome to episode 220 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Monday 8th of July 2019. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed, and today's show is a collection of interviews from Crank Tank's Impact Media Summit, held in Sun Valley, Idaho, towards the end of June. I talked with folks from Crank Tank who told me why they partnered with the Bike Demo Fest, that is Outerbike. And over lunch one day, I talked with Outerbike co-founder Mark Sevenoff, who also co-founded the cycle holiday and guiding company Western Spirit. I got the latest product info from Frokes representing Rota, Zoic, Fidlock, Light and Motion, and Wild Rye. Zach from Viathon talked about a Walmart bicycle brand that's nothing like a Walmart bicycle brand. And today's show ends with an interview I could have conducted in the UK because I speak with Brits and one Italian from Brighton based Hunt Wheels. But before that, here's Adrian and Scott Montgomery they're not related, who give me the background to pairing up without a bike, and also how the bike industry is having to adapt to a rapidly changing marketplace. So Adrian, we've had some ropey weather here. <laughs> you, you, you get me here because it's Sun Valley, it's 90 degrees, and it's cold, it's snowing, it's still beautiful here. So we should expect this weather because we're in the mountains, yeah? Yeah, in a mountain town, um, it does, you know, you'll get some funny weather. And, and this is really our spring. Um, this is, we've kind of only been melted out for a few weeks, really. And, um, and yeah, this is the time of year we might get snow flurries or rain or whatever. It's always a little questionable bringing a group in here. Um, but it's also one of the best times because the lupin are out and the wildflowers are all around and the, the river's gushing and the creeks are going. And it's probably awesome out there on Warm Springs Road just looking at the river snaking through the valley. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful time to be in the mountains. But yeah, you might have to put a shell on. <laughs> yeah, well, we did. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so, Outer Bike and Crank Tank Summit, they meet in the middle now. So, how come? The Impact Media Summit at Outer Bike. So, what we found is that um, as suppliers start to bring things to market, there's, um, there's less of a need to show it to the trade well in advance and more of a need for the consumer to see it. And also the consumer wants to be at something special. When they come to an outer bike, they're gonna see a bike that they might never be able to look at in a retail store, uh, or that um, they're some of the first people to see it. So uh, we think that the model's changing in how things are released, and we believe that things like outer bike are really important. They're spread out throughout the country. Um, they are um, you know, at, at different times a year. And, um, and it, this is really a place where somebody can try a $10,000 bike or an $8,000 bike or 
any bike um, in this direct-to-consumer environment because how else would you know whether you wanted the you know one bike versus the other when you're buying things direct-to-consumer you need an event like this so back to why we think the impact media summit belongs here is that uh, we believe that that you can bring something to market show it to consumers show it to media at the same time and actually have it available too so um, you know the consumer can just go and order this thing online right now. I think it's a good thing, and I think it's where the industry's going, whether it's consumer events for more mountain or consumer events more gravel or e-bike. And, of course, everybody, uh, almost every brand here has great e-bike options too. So I, I'm a big fan of it. Scott, would you mind taking your jacket off? Oh, yes. It's noisy. It's <laughs> You said I'm sorry. Everything has been noisy. We'll be, we'll be, you'll be in your underwear in a minute, <laughs> and we'll be like in a roof space. Good. Okay. Um, so, if you're going to the consumer, now the whole industry is going to the consumer. So not not just your show, but just going to the consumer in general. Does that not mean? you're really narrowing your options because you're not going to the masses anymore. You're going to the people who've already got bikes, the people you're already kind of talking to, and we should be reaching out and getting new people. So is this not a real danger of you'll never, ever reach a new audience if you're doing things like this and industry in general? Yeah, um, that is a, a valid point. But I would say this when... Um, with this new marketing that we're all doing, you may not touch 5,000 people here, but if we can give some leaders of the, of the sport, the person who, when you go to a dinner party, are gonna, and you sit down next to them and you say, well, do, what do you like to do for your hobbies? And they say, oh, I'm a mountain biker. They'll be the one that, that blasts and tells you, oh, I was just riding the brand new, uh, amazing pivot or amazing nine or amazing uh, Santa Cruz or whatever it will be um, and so first of all that you get that you get very strong enthusiasts from that the second thing is you create all this social media around it so we're posting our Facebook and Instagram uh, shots and we're generally boosting that so getting that and that gives our brands authenticity because they're seen as even though the consumer maybe didn't come here. They at least see that they're out, and it, it shows an openness, a kind of a, a big bear hug. Um, then, of course, we're engaging the media, people like yourself, uh, and they're telling the story, and they're telling how they and you are the, um, are the masters of the universe because you're seen as the person that knows more about it. Um, than anybody else. And then later we're telling it through our newsletters and, and explaining it back. So it's that, it's that combined envelope of lots of different chunks that, that does uh, reach the larger audience. And, and that you need to have the frequency of doing things on a regular basis. So I'll take 30 active weeks of something going on over... Uh, maybe one huge uh, event because then when that person sees wow you came to this event you came to that event this race that action and you add it all up it starts to build brand authenticity the prices of the bikes that we've got here it's it's high-end it's 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 a kind sure. of affluent 
consumer or somebody who really wants to yeah, buy Yeah, four to 10,000, I would say. Yeah. So that's a good market. It's, uh, you want to sell these bikes, but there's scope for selling $1,000 bikes. So could these events morph so you, you get... I'm trying to... Same question as the previous one, really. Yeah. How to expand the audience. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting the four to $8,000 to $10,000 bike people. You're getting people who are entry-level, which is the kind of... What I thought was always the, the, the goal mm-hmm. of the industry was to get entry-level, and yet we still seem to be hitting the existing consumers. So we need... Is a scope for a, a much broader entry-level well, event? Well, it certainly is a valid um, comment, and I also agree with that, that you need or we need to do things that will build the pie or enlarge the pie. And in that way, yes, I think um, uh, this is where we still have a lot of, let's say, work to do um, that clearly this isn't accomplishing. You know, we have women and men, but we don't have very much ethnicity. Of course, in the state of Idaho, it's uh, not a very diverse state, but we're not doing very well with um, Latino and um, uh, African Americans uh, and that. So, yes, I think in that way, it's a very good um, a very good point you make. But the flip side is NICA is, uh, which is the high school league, is breaking through on that and getting. Um, young people participating, and they also are having their directors meeting here. And we will have, uh, the la- as the last piece of this event tonight, a meeting with the NICA directors, which is in 27 of the 50 states. So they've broken the halfway point, and I think they're on their way over the next three, four years to to getting to the point where every state, grade eight to 12, will have a, a league where you just like you can play. American football or soccer or uh, volleyball or basketball, you'll be able to ride uh, mountain bikes with the Nike program. Um, so that's good, and that is helping, and that's clearly creating another generation. Um, but, yeah, I think your point is still a very valid one. Um, I think the only other area that's really progressive there is, of course, e-bikes, because it really starts to become a transportation item, and uh, a $2,500 transportation item, uh, is st- though that is still expensive, if you compare that to about 400 to 500 a month lease uh, on a, a car, um, that is still uh, quite inexpensive. And that's all inclusive, of course, uh, because you're not buying petrol and you're not paying insurance. So I, I think the e-bike is um, uh, still probably... Uh, the the promised land for getting more people in, and then almost we once we get them in using a bike for transportation, then hopefully they start using it for recreation. So last year was lots of e mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. This year the theme, if there is a theme, is is gravel. Mm-hmm. So how much of that was? Well, these are the brands that you had, and that's what they do, and they want to do gravel. And how much of that is? Well, that's where the industry is at the moment. Well, I think it's both. Um, Certainly, there are still a few bike companies who are saying we're not going to do um, E. I personally think that's a mistake, um, even though I still absolutely prefer, at the end of the day, still riding a non-e-bike 
uh, for recreation because I like it for the fitness. But you can get just as much fitness on an e-bike. It's just a matter of getting, uh, obviously, used going to further. it. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, going a little faster. Uh, but, yeah, I know uh, Todd Tanner at Reynolds with me, he's actually gone out and measured his watts, uh, burned on his e-bike ride, and it's equal to when he's done his, his own non-e-bike. So I, I'm not worried about that. It's just a matter of getting, uh, getting used to it. But, yes, the gravel is going to come next and uh, is, is becoming, for at least the U.S. But I think what's driving gravel is actually um, not what we really thought it was. It's really the safety factor um, of getting off the, the asphalt streets um, where we just all feel a lot safer because I think with the advent of more technology in the cars, whether it's uh, playing around with your um, emails or your texts, which of course is very much against the law, or just even um, playing with your GPS and answering your phone and looking at uh, the just the kids who are watching TV. There's just so many distractions inside the car. I know I feel unsafe riding on the road for very far distances. And even when I ride my uh, bike from the office, which I do quite a bit to the YMCA, which is, you know, our fitness gym, I and when I'm riding through the streets, I'm always very mindful. I've got to be really careful in the street because people just aren't looking for, for bikes. So so I think what's driving the gravel is the, is really the... the fun and joy of it because the bikes are getting so much better and with the new shifting systems and everything but also you just feel safe because there aren't very many uh motor cars on those uh on those roads and america has got an awful lot of, of gravel roads of yeah roads. It, it does vary state by state i know our friends at reynolds in wisconsin actually have told me that there are no gravel roads there because back when the dairy industry was being developed they realized that if they paved the roads and they could pick up the milk uh, all uh, every day of the year but if you look because of the just sheer size in terms of the number of square kilometers of the U.S. yeah we still have quite a few uh, roads because the, the states just can't afford to to pave them all so uh, it's perfect for this. And then lots of them are actually just left to, to where they were asphalt and they're just left because the it costs too much to maintain them, and they gradually become a gravel road again. Yes. And that's happening more and more in, in the U.S. because it just costs too much. And also situations where um, maybe they built the road to put in an oil uh, or power lines or uh, because there were oil wells there at one time or it led to a city that's even you know died off because maybe the coal mine went away or or what have you but yeah we just are very fortunate we have a lot of them which is i think why it's getting so embraced in the u.s is we just have a lot of those roads in most states anyway so you've been in the industry like well, you've been on this podcast uh four or five times maybe mm. uh at various shows and at various uh here uh park city with with uh with the previous um, uh, yes kind of thing mm-hmm. like this but even before that you've been in the industry you know, longer than me which is a long, <laughs> long time. I'm not going to age you here but uh, you've been in the industry an awfully long time um, and 
the industry, we always said, even back then, you know, the industry's changing. And then it didn't really change for a long time, really. Mm-hmm. But now it's just, it's, it almost switched overnight in that uh, we've gone very much the, the kind of canyon model, the, mm-hmm. the direct consumer model. And that's just such a change mm-hmm. for everybody, almost. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I, I think the way I would look at that is it's a choice by the consumer for convenience. Um, there are lots of people who still, uh, all of the daughters in my family particularly, they still really love the almost the tribalness of visiting and trying on clothes. Sometimes my daughter Sarah will go shopping for a full eight hours on holiday. And I go along because I want to be a good supportive dad. And literally she will spend from nine in the morning till five o'clock and she won't buy one thing, but she will have tried on you know, 50 or 100 uh, items. So I don't think shopping's going to go away. But I think what the technology and all the information that you can get, whether studying websites, studying digital uh, resources, online magazines, reading, of course, still print magazines, there's just so much information at your fingertips that people really like to research and study. And then sometimes they're in the mood to try it on, because it's their wedding and they want to have a beautiful suit. And sometimes they're just like, you know what? I need four new pairs of socks. The last four have disappeared in the, in the wash and I'm going to just buy them. And I know those last time I bought them were good and I don't want to. Um, and that's really, you know, coming back to bike, it's the same. And particularly we see um, in the items like uh, gloves and helmets and shoes and you know, if you were uh, looking, sometimes those companies will have hundreds of SKUs. When you look at the sizes, the colors, do they have gripper on the hands of the glove or non-gripper? Are they a, a, a Velcro opening or are they just a slide-on? And if you go to the average retailer, maybe they can carry 20 uh, styles in four sizes. So the consumer is spoiled by wanting to look at every single one and then being really unique and having their own look or their own favorite. And I think for those kind of items, then there are other areas which I think they don't want to do at all, and actually there the pendulum swings in the other direction, where I know for myself I really do not um, do much maintenance on my bike. Sometimes I will put uh, squirt and sealant in my tires to do it, and other times I actually don't even want to bother with changing a tire and it just comes back to again i always like to say and and i'm thinking and doing something my time is worth a hundred dollars an hour now debatably when i'm doing the dishwasher unloading the dishwasher for my family it's not anywhere near, near that but if i'm going to say on a saturday or on a friday afternoon i'm going to do something i always say okay is am i saving a hundred dollars by doing this and then if i am yes but if it's if, uh, if, it, if I need five inner tubes, do I really want to spend an hour to go, to go to the shop, make sure I have them when I could just uh, push a, uh, go to a website and know that they would be here tomorrow? So I think it's just back to convenience. But I don't see the store model going away, particularly in bike, 
because of the amount of service that's needed and also the technical expertise. You know, I, I think Adrian on, on our company was just working with your bike that was having a problem with the shifting. Okay, he can figure it out, but most people are just going to bring it back and uh, have the shop. The same with a car. Who really is going to pull out the computer and do the diagnostic on your car to figure out uh, what is wrong with the turbocharger? I don't think very many people. So you've been in the industry uh, in lots of different parts of the industry. So right now, events, PR, but then you've also been in manufacturing. You've been in R&D back mm-hmm. in the Candale days. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of different parts of the industry. Have you ever been involved in retail? Um, I've never uh, owned retail, though. I did uh, own a restaurant for a while, and I was amazingly bad at it. I think it was uh, uh, the most money I've ever lost in a two-year period when I owned a restaurant. What kind but of restaurant? It was a, kind of a quick service um, restaurant, and they were doing uh, wraps, uh, and yeah, it was was not something I was passionate about, and I don't know why I, I got into it, but I was between um, uh, some roles, and I I got talked into it by a, a good salesperson. But but yes, I really have not done very much retail, but I'm definitely working with the brand side of retail in terms of companies. We see most companies have four. Uh, channels of distribution. They have, of course, the uh, distributor model, which still is quite popular when there's 160 countries and you can't, if you're not a huge, huge company, you you can't afford to build your own distribution in each country, so you still use a distributor. Of course, selling through the shops, uh, bike shop to bike shop, we like to kind of call that B2B model. And then, of course, the D2C or direct-to-consumer model. Um, and then, of course, if you're somebody like my Reynolds job, um, we have an OEM model where you're you're making the parts uh, for them, and that's the four, fourth channel. And um, so you need to be, I think, good at all of the channels that reflect and affect your brand. And um, if you're, there are some brands like Canyon that are doing very well with, in effect, one channel, and I think they will be here to stay. And there will be some that will serve all the all the channels. Um, as well, um, but I don't see uh, I don't see w- waking up in 2030 and there only being direct to consumer. I think it will just there'll be a mix still. Golf here, golf everywhere has pretty much disappeared. It's it's gone into a, a massive decline, partly because of the age of the demographic of, of who's doing that. Um, also, a very similar demographic to cycling, so white guys, mm-hmm. in effect. Um, are we in danger of cycling becoming the new golf in a way different to when cycling was the new golf for like executives meeting each other? Just cycling is the new golf in that it's going to disappear. Well, it's certainly, if, if I uh, had to say the biggest, I think, failure of would be the traditional countries of, say, Europe and U.S. Um, I don't know why I call those traditional countries, but let's say they were the two largest markets for cycling. Um, We are definitely too male and too uh, 
white, if just for lack of a better word. I don't really like that word, but okay. Uh, but yes, I think we've got to do better with diversity. And I don't know how um, we're doing it. I think we are getting better with women in general. Um, uh, but I think, to your point, one of the other areas that's definitely taking a, a bite out of at least the North American market is things like scooters, uh, um, uh, the um, the rideshare, whether it's Lyft uh, or, um, gosh, Uber. Uh, and I think also um, I really see the rise of things like the Peloton uh, in-home stationary type bikes and the, the soul cycles and the spin classes um, because particularly I think women feel very safe in those environments. They don't have um, to worry about uh, somebody looking at them as much or uh, uh, but also um, they don't have to worry that maybe they get 50 miles down the road and there's a mechanical problem, um, things like that. So yeah, I, I think in that way, the sport is uh, is still could um, has to do better at, at expanding beyond our traditional market because um, those areas are are impacting and gosh I we haven't talked about today but I know in all the cities that I've traveled in over the last months the bike share programs are just dying and and nobody's using them you see them sitting in kind of dormant but the the skate uh, or scooter with they're so easy to get around i think they're very dangerous they scare me um, when i see a young 19 year old rolling through the street at a high speed with no helmet no gloves um on a on a scooter but clearly it's much more popular um and uh if you're trying to get to work and you're not going to be sweaty i was just in washington dc for one of my daughter's graduation from university and very few people on the uh, bike sharing bikes, but the scooters were all busy and and being used. Mark, what's your second name? Sevi. How do you spell that? Oh, <laughs> my last name is Sevenoff, uh, S-E-V-E-N-O-F-F, but my friends call me Sevi as a nickname. Okay, and you've got some friends here now who've come to Outer Bike for the first time. I, I do, yeah. These are some good friends from uh, where I went to school in Castleton, Vermont, um, in the late 80s, uh, 87 to 91. And we were just reminiscing about that. When I, when I was a freshman at Castleton, uh, there were three other guys with mountain bikes my freshman year. But my sophomore year, there were maybe a dozen and grew and grew by senior year, probably several hundred, but it was a, it was a fun era um, to be part of the mountain bike scene, you know? Now, I know you because you've guided. Yes, yes. Uh, so At least the two trips that I've done yeah. with Western Spirit. So yes. that's, that's how I know you. Yeah. But, of course, now Western Spirit has this Outer other bike. thing. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so Ashley and I own Western Spirit. And about 10 years ago, um, after many years of going to Interbike and many of our Western Spirit guests asking us how they could go to Interbike, we, uh, we said, wow... Um, you know, these bike brands are killing themselves to assemble these beautiful demo fleets and they bring them to Vegas and they're great. Why don't we see if we can convince them to bring these demo fleets to Moab for a weekend 
close to Las Vegas, and we'll uh, we'll let anybody, we'll let our customers, uh, not just our Western Spirit customers, but anybody come and have it a consumer festival. And um, we uh, they signed on the exhibitors and and then the people showed up. And the first year we had. Uh, a lot of bikes, but not quite as many people. And then the next year, we had a lot of people, and we we didn't quite have a, enough bikes. But now we've got to that number um, a little more dialed, and um, it's grown quite a bit to where uh, this fall is our 10th anniversary of, of starting in Moab, but we've taken it on the road to where we're doing uh, four different events in four different locations. So this is the kickoff event for the year in Sun Valley, and you, you haven't been to Sun Valley before. This is the first time. Correct. Yeah, Western Spirit's been coming up here for for nearly 25 years, doing our five day trips um, on the Hot Springs route and a single track route. But this is our first uh, first outer bike here. Yeah, after after a couple of years of, of working on it and and working with the um, the resort and the Visit Sun Valley folks, um, it's finally come together. So tell me, after Sun Valley, where do you go and, and what dates? Sure. Um, after Sun Valley, uh, our next event is in Crested Butte, and that's August 16th through 18th, and that's a similar style event to this. Uh, base of the lifts has lift serves, but also shuttles and cross-country riding. And then Moab uh, in early October. That's our still our original and probably biggest event. And then Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, finishes it finishes the season off in late October, uh, right around Halloween. So, how many people are you getting at the Moab event? Moab is about a thousand people, and then we have to we have to cap it at that because there's only so many bikes we can get here. Um, you know, sure, bigger festivals like Sea Otter have twenty plus thousand people, but but Otter Bike is first and foremost a demo event. And it's more of a curated experience where everybody's invited to the party, and everybody can sit under the, you know, the big white tent like a VIP, and you might be sitting next to somebody like Chuck Ibis or, or Zap or or a person who actually designed the bike or helped market the bike, um, and then you might be sitting next to Joe the plumber from you know Iowa or. or um, Baltimore or wherever you know people do it come from all over the country and and other countries we got a, a crew of guys that come every year from Miami Florida um, so do you get people the same people across we, all four events we do have some uber uh, evangelists yeah the groupies so to speak yeah um, some of these guys like the chain breakers that make their own make their own jerseys every year and they get about a dozen of them together every year and um, we love those guys um, but we we work hard on getting new people as well but these are people who the industry is here because they want to sell bikes so these are sure. people who've got like in the next six months I'm interested in buying yeah. a bike and I want to try one out exactly and we we know know that the you know the industry one of their main goals is you know selling more uh, bikes and and more product and so we we kind of pride ourselves in getting um, really good customers that are are interested in shopping you know we've pulled them and a really high percentage are gonna buy a bike in the next six to twelve months um, so they uh, so the exhibitors like that 
and um, and and we we firmly believe we're helping to you know sell more bikes and, and helping the the uh, consumer make a better educated uh, decision, especially especially with the advent of more consumer direct bikes. Where you know if you want to try, uh, uh, if you're considering buying a Canyon or a Ferrari or or a Common Cell or a Python now, or a Python now, absolutely. Then one of the only places to try them on real trails um, is an outer bike event. Is an outer bike event. Yeah. And do you have cornerstone brands who will always be at every events yes yes absolutely uh some of those brands include yeti and pivot and specialized and they those three there's many more but they firmly believe the best um way to sell a bike is for to have potential customers try it you know and then if they fall in love with it then uh that's that's a big part of the sales process. Um, others um, will come to uh, two or three. Some of them, you know, there's more there's more events that have date conflicts. So some of them simply, uh, you know, can't if they only have one demo van. I am Chris Schieffer, and I work for Zoic Clothing. And what are you doing here at uh, Outer Bike? Uh, stroke crank tank summit you, you've got some you've got a racks of clothing here so what does Zoic do yes so a little history of Zoic we were the very first mountain bike baggy short so 25 years ago actually this year we quote unquote invented baggy shorts for mountain biking and really what set us apart in that was eventually we also started integrating the chamois so I don't know if you remember mountain biking back in the day the chamois was actually sewn into the short so when you pulled your pants down it came with it. Um, we didn't find that people found that as, as bad of a problem as, as they did back then, so we've stopped sewing them in, but we can still integrate them with the little snaps inside, etc. But um, we've also found that people don't necessarily want the chamois that comes with it. So one of the huge things that we tend to do is our sell chamois different different varieties of chamois um, separately, and then you can per- choose to purchase them together and get a discount on that kind of thing. And you're international? or We are not currently international, no. Um, we're based in the U.S. in California, Southern California, San Diego. And we, our retailers are online retailers such as Amazon and Backcountry. They will ship internationally if you were to purchase from our website. We do not have that capability currently, nor do I know if we're growing into that market. And if we do, it'll probably be more like Canada. Okay. And where have you come from in the industry? Have you come from other companies and then... Me personally? Yeah. Um, I, so I used to work for the International Mountain Bicycling Association. You have that jacket on right now, um, which was more of the advocacy side of mountain biking. So we basically are trying to build trails, maintain trails, maintain access to trails, that kind of thing. Um, but basically av- advocating for mountain biker rights, really, to be on the trails. I don't know if you've seen the signs in the U.S., but we're at the very bottom of that yield triangle always. So trying to show our value so to speak which is actually kind of where um, Outer Bikes, the owner of Outer Bikes, she came from that world as well in the sense that um, you know she was lobbying for public land access and that type of stuff so my background is in advocacy but I moved to apparel because quite honestly advocacy is so 
personal and it's so hard it's hard to take the criticism when you very much care about what you're doing because we definitely got a lot of criticism as you tend to do in nonprofit world you know imagine working for Planned Parenthood like if you really cared about Planned Parenthood it would be just so jarring to get constant hate mail you know and it's similar to that but not even close to that scale in the mountain biking world so I wanted to move away from that and just I mean I, you either like or you don't like our clothes, you know, that's not a, it's not personal to me. You're not getting angry emails no. saying, how dare you <laughs> no. make those shorts? Right, like you don't want to wear the leopard print shorts, that's totally up to you. Um, it's not, it's, I'm not going to take it personal, but if you don't care about trails and I can't make you care, it's really difficult for me to, to interact with you because we don't, we're not like caring about the same things. And so it's hard, like mentally and emotionally hard to work in that space. So now I switch to apparel and that's pretty easy. So tell me about the line then. So what are you what are you now selling most of? Are you still selling the shorts most of? Yes. So currently our biggest seller is the men's ether short. I'll you know, walk mm -hmm. you over to it. So our biggest seller is the men's ether short. Um, this is the longest version of that short, which is 14 inches long. There's a standard um, length, which is 13. And then we have a short version which is this one here, which is nine. Um, the big features about this short that people really tend to like and what makes it our staple overall is that in the back we have a little bit of a stretch in the waistband. And that's to accommodate for weight gain and it's also just for comfort. People like just being able to pull it on and off and not having to unbutton it or zip it, although those are still options. And then you've got this additional adjustment on the side too. So in that sense, you know, if you gain 20 pounds you might still actually fit in your shorts um, and here in the US anyway and especially like these parts where it's win definitely winter sometimes and definitely summer people tend to, to gain a little bit here and there and then lose a little bit so I think that's one of the huge selling points but then additionally it's got all the pockets um, so if you look we've got let's see one two three four five pockets six pockets on this. Um, all the side pockets hold the biggest iPhone, the biggest Android, you know, you name it. We've obviously made it to fit phones because people have those. And then the other thing is the gusset in between. It's just like a, a nice strip so you're not getting your, your uh, crotch stuck on your seat. Um, so are you mountain bike only or you got gravel, you've got... We, so as in terms of our products, we don't specifically make anything but mountain bike clothing. However, I will say in our women's line, not our men's, but our women's, we have products that will carry over to gravel. Um, if people want to ride in baggy shorts for gravel, that's great. I don't tend to see that being the case. It's mostly a spandex kit, similar to road biking or cross-country mountain biking. So in that sense, the men's line, we don't have any of that. In the women's line, however, we have what we call an all-cycle short. And those are actual cycling shorts that are just spandex. And the big thing I love about those, and unfortunately I don't have any to show you, is that they're printed. So let's take a walk over here. So they're printed, and this is the print here, an Aztec print. Um, so they're fun still. You, a lot of people wear baggies because they can be colors and they can be fun and, and they're not just black cycling shorts, right? Or they're not a full road bike kit. But I think we make a nice women's cycling short that can be used for gravel, that's still fun. It makes me feel good. I want to ride when I feel like I look good. So, and maybe that's vain, but whatever keeps me out there, right? Um, so we have the cycling short for women and then we do have women's jersey 
that's a little more gravel oriented in that it has a zipper in the front, it's short sleeve, and then you've got the pockets, so you don't have to have a backpack. I'd say one of the primary things that I've seen is gravel riders aren't wearing backpacks. Because um, gravel is where it's at at the moment. I it know. seems in the US, it's like it that's is. the growth area, so it is, absolutely. everybody's doing something gravel specific. Right, and I will say um, our company is, is very small, so there's six full-time employees, and they've been around for 25 years, and both of the owners still work there. So in that sense, we're pretty grassroots. It is difficult for us to grow in a way, and especially for us to hit all of the markets of mountain biking, because there are so many. So we're we're currently trying to grow more of the enduro scene on our end because you kind of have to pick one or the other. You know, you, you could be cross country and you could be gravel, or you could be enduro, or you could you can't hit it all. So our focus is more on on clothing that's comfortable and stylish, and you can go from riding to the bar or riding to work or work to riding. So you'll see a lot of our men's jerseys are collared; um, they look more like work shirts but they're still performance wicking, you know, moisture wicking, performance material. They have hidden pockets so that you can do all those things. So in that way, we're not, we're not going towards gravel currently. I can't say that would never be a thing, but right now we're more of a lifestyle, um, more of an all, I guess all mountain riders, all, you know, lifestyle riders is what I would say we cater to the most. So I haven't gone through the bag in, in great depth there, but I think, I believe there is some stuff in there that we've got to test. So what are we what are we riding? What are the journalists riding? Are we all riding something different? You're all riding something different. So and you'd say that. Do you want to open it up and <laughs> yeah. I'll tell and you what see you what's have? In there. Yeah. Well, you you go for it because I am I'm holding the microphone here. Well, first of all, these are nice. You don't mind me digging around in your bag? This is none of my stuff. This is just giving me to my day, so it's not my bag. Okay, so you it's like tell a me surprise. What's in there. Exactly. Woo. I haven't looked at anything. Okay. Cool. So you have you have our carbon liner. So one of our most popular products. Would you like me to stand up? Uh, I can. I can. Okay. I can send the microphone to you. That's fine. <laughs> one of our more popular products are actually our liners. So we do sell cycling liners. Um, if you wanted to, you could double them up as, as just cycling shorts because they're thick enough where it wouldn't make a difference. But I'm going to open it up so you can kind of touch it here. So this is our carbon liner. This is our nicest liner. That's not. It comes in a bib as well. This one's not the bib. Um, but the real difference here is these ones are made in Italy, so they're nice and soft, and um, people tend to really like this particular liner, so good for you for lucking out on getting that one. Okay. <laughs> but we do sell a variety of different styles. This is, the, again, the high-end one, but there's three in between the high and the low end. The low end comes with our shorts if you choose to purchase it with it. But like I said, you, we also sell our shorts without liners because we realize- And do they hook in? They do they, hook in. So they've got the, the little yes. tags there. Yes, um, at the top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wait. Yeah, right oh, yeah, here. And then inside the actual short, you've got the loop to, to loop that yeah. onto it. Um, some people don't, I usually actually cut those out of my shorts. I don't need to have them connected, but a lot of people like it, so. Mm -hmm. We still offer that. Uh, let's see, the other thing you've got, you've got the less Less lifestyle of our line, actually. So this is That's a true. Performancy. This is performance. So this is a true jersey. It's you know standard moisture wicking jersey material. If you feel it's really light, and this is the Wyatt. No, the Sirius. 
tourist jersey. What I like about this one that they've kind of improved over the years is the neckline's a little bit different. So it's not just it's just not hitting you right here. You know, it's got more of a an angular shape, I would say, and it's a little bit more flattering in that way. And then the sleeves, they're not short, but they're not long. Um, one thing we don't yet make is a three-quarter length jersey but we're, we're trying to get there for men. For women, we definitely have a three-quarter length jersey. It seemed to be a more popular thing for women at the time. So this is our short sleeve performance jersey. And if you don't want this one, by the way, just let me know and we'll switch it out for you. But then you've got, you've got one of our lighter shorts. So this is not our bestseller currently, but I feel like this is going to become one of the bestsellers. So this is the Ether One, so just touch that. That's very light, isn't it? Super light material. Yeah. It's really durable. I'm, I'm, um, I'm now touching my other shorts, which are, which are definitely thicker right. and, and, and not as pliable. Right. So even though it's really thin, it's still really durable. So when people crash, this doesn't tend to rip right away. It is a fabric that is, is quite strong for how light it is. The Ether Ones are what I have here for you. And the big difference here is that I showed you the regular ether, it has that stretchy back. These do not. So this has a flat back in the in the waist. So if you had a hip pack, it might be a little more comfortable to wear a hip pack without that material. But you still have those side adjustments, so you can make adjustments. Like you're you know, you're a pretty small guy, so maybe you have to pull that in a little bit. I don't know. Um, and like I said, if the sizes don't fit, come find us and we'll get you the right ones. But essentially it's a great summer short and people tend to race in these shorts too because they're so durable and they're long and they're still really light so if you're doing an enduro or something to that aspect or effect and you're doing 35 plus miles typically it's hot here where we are it's quite cold right now but we brought a lot of these because it was you know it's usually hot here in sun valley um so yeah you've got our up-and-coming bestseller in my opinion we have a few shorts currently that are going to mold into one short and this is one um, the ether one so there, it's all going to be somewhat like this or the standard ether but light 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 that's what i would say about that okay thank you yes you're welcome by the way i love your shoes <laughs> They're so bright. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, I like these to come to events like this because I can go from a mountain bike to a road bike and it's right. Oh, almost yeah. the you same just, shoes. You just bring your pedals? Yeah. So are those mountain bike clips? These are, these are mountain bike. Yeah, um, yeah. So I've just got SPDs on. Cool. But they're mount Shimano mountain bike shoes. Are you allowed to ride road bikes with SPDs? Because I feel like people give me a bad look when I do that. Uh, <laughs> I, I just do it because it's more practical here. It means you can just get on any bike. Gotcha. At these kind of events. Yeah, I could see that. And I, we've no idea what we're going to get to, to ride on, so stay flexible and... It's, uh, it's exciting, kind of, right? Yeah. Okay, I've got to admit, that's the first time anybody's ever complimented me for my bicycling shoes. Uh, anyway, uh, before we get on to the rest of the interviews uh, from uh, Crank Tanks, the Impact Media Summit in uh, Ketchum, Idaho, uh, here is... David with a little bit of an ad break. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much. And hi, everybody, it's David. And I am here, well, you know why I'm here. I'm here to talk about our longtime loyal and fantastic sponsor, Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Remember, that's J-E-N-S-O-N. 
JensenUSA.com. Now, what's Jensen USA? Well, if you don't know by now, you should. JensenUSA.com is the place where you're going to find all of the things that you need for your complete cycling lifestyle. Complete bikes, mountain bikes, road bikes, gravel grinders, everything in between, components, apparel, accessory, tools, shoes, really gifts, everything you can imagine that you would need for your cycling lifestyle. And we're not talking about off-branded stuff. We are talking about name brands that you know, love, and need for your cycling lifestyle. You're going to find those name brands at incredible low prices, and that's all going to be coupled with unparalleled customer service. If you haven't been to Jensen USA before, I urge you to do it right now and every time you need something for cycling because they're going to have it at great prices and you're going to be very, very satisfied with their customer service. Go ahead and check them out. That's at JensenUSA.com slash The Spokesman. Our thanks to Jensen USA for supporting The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast and our thanks to you for supporting our sponsor, Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, back to you. Thanks, David. And uh, let's continue with the interviews from uh, Crank Tank's Impact Media Summit. And here, with the description of a very clicky bottle, uh, a magnetic bottle, and I am using it now that I'm in the UK. In fact, I've actually taken a lot of the bottle cages off my bikes. And I am using this product. It is it is really, really good. And it's, it's a German product, um, which I should have seen, as I say in the piece, I, I, I should have seen it uh, at Eurobike. But I haven't. So it's good to go to events where you get shown these things in the flesh and then you can actually see how they work and then you're you're a convert. Uh, so this is uh, Barton Burdett. Uh, he's the brand manager for Fidlock. Fidlock, yeah, one word. Uh, Fidlock actually is a, a name uh, was taken from the founder of Fidlock. His name's uh, Joachim Fiedler. He's a German guy and uh, he's, his background is in music. He's a cellist in the... Uh, Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, and uh, that's a longer form story of. Uh, well, you're I, already starting way off beam compared to what we're I thought you were going to start. Okay, that's cool. I'm reeling it back in. I'm reeling yeah, that's it fantastic. Back in. So he he made this product not for outdoor originally, or he's an outdoor person. No, he is an outdoor person, and uh, but the very first product he invented was not for outdoor at all. It was actually to hold his cello clamp. Uh, it was a clamp for his cello bow in his cello case. And uh, that was where the it started, and he took that technology out. Um, but so Fidlock was founded in 2007, um, headquarters in Hanover, Germany. And um, it's been a big, successful business for a long time, but uh, the name's been obscure because it's a, what we call an ingredient brand, like a, a Primaloft or a Gore-Tex, but the, we make OEM parts for other brands. Um, our big section in outdoor is we make the magnetic helmet buckles for all the bike and ski helmets and we also do some for uh, motorbike helmets that meet DOT and ECE certifications. So I'm using your stuff and I don't even know it. Right. And then uh, about two years ago um, we developed this new uh, bike product and decided to start our own retail division um, which is built on the system we call the Twist and this is a a cageless magnetic water bottle. Um, Kind of the First of all, the principles of Fidlocker, um, everything we do is magnetic, but everything has a patented uh, mechanical locking mechanism that carries all the load to make it secure. Anybody can put a magnet into something and it's fun and cute, 
Um, but the real benefit is in a, a real special locking mechanism that secures the load. And that's how we're able to do a helmet buckle that you can open and close with one hand with gloves on, but still meet the testing certifications required by the helmet industry. And so that's, we always do that. And um, every, we want everything to be operated with one hand and uh, be fun and satisfying, but perform really well. So what we're doing in the bike industry now is uh, our, mostly our, uh, our push technology and our twist technology. The twist technology is kind of the core of the line, which is our cageless water bottle system. And we've integrated a, a kind of a, a, just a plastic bike water bottle into our twist system where we have a cageless mount. It's a real lightweight, small, discreet, sturdy cage integrated with magnets, of course, that allows the water bottle to um, kind of guide itself home and then the mechanical lock secures it. So it can only be removed from the bike by rotating it, um, but it's strong enough that you could essentially lift the bike uh, by pulling straight up on it. So Scott had some on his bike yesterday. We were doing some pretty bumpy roads, gravel roads. Yes corrugations and it wasn't moving so no it's absolutely more secure than a standard bottle and cage so that's kind of the counterintuitive piece to it that uh, um, when something's that easy to use everyone assumes it's not as secure but it's actually more secure um, we've had multiple um, enduro racers race it in the EWF um, Aaron Gwynn will ride it on his enduro bike we have uh, some, we've partnered with some enduro teams in Europe that race it, the IBIS Fidlock enduro team and the IBIS Works um, women's enduro team, both in Europe. Uh, we had, did some, we were partnered with the Pivot Devo team in Europe for a while as well, which is our, uh, we're a lo lot larger in Europe than we are right now, so uh, we're trying to bring it, bring it north, or excuse me, bring it west to the US. Um, it's really good, so it's really good for really aggressive riding. Um, but so easy to use, can be used on any bike. It's great for kids' bikes. Um, and we found now that it's also fantastic for gravel, where um, kind of to, to our surprise, guys that ride gravel know this, that it's harder on water bottles than mountain biking because there's zero shock absorption from the bike. So um, especially guys that compete in gravel racing, especially around the Western US, they ride some really tough terrain on gravel bikes and they launch bottles all the time. So it's great for that. Um, it's also really great for really tight frame clearances because the bottle comes out totally sideways. So um, small full suspension frames, are, there's very little room for water bottles, especially with piggyback shocks and everything else. And the geometries you see now in, from Evil and Yeti and, and Pivot, these work really well in that scenario. Um, and even bikes that have, don't carry a water bottle in the frame, but allow you to mount it underneath the down tube, uh, it's secure enough to ride really aggressive terrain with the bottle suspended underneath and then there's an ecosystem so once you've got the what do you call the the actual unit that what that's a so the tech space. our standard base that sits on the bicycle that just uh, screws into the brazons where your normal cage goes that's our bike base okay and then we've started to expand that out um, to be used in other areas. One of the, those examples is what we call our text base. Text is in textile, so it can be used on uh, fabric, bags, belts, uh, molly webbing. And do, that's, do they work? Are yes, they, of course, everything's interchanged. That can go on the same one, so okay. Yep. I so assumed it would be, but just in case. Built on the same platform, and yep. so this was a, a little collaboration we did with High Above, which is a, a, they make really great hip packs. They're handmade in Bellingham, Washington, and they've integrated our text base into the bag here. And so the, your bike bottle um, 
can go from your bike to your bag and is a great way to carry extra water. In this case, it worked out so well, I'm in most cases drinking from my, the bottle on my hip pack uh, while I ride and I'm carrying an extra bottle on my bike. And then when my hip bag is empty, I swap the bottles because it's so much easier to drink from here than to reach down because um, my water bottle's so close to my bottom bracket. And is then this this is a joke product or you, this is a genuine, so I'm looking at a banana. Yeah, so it's uh, definitely a very genuine product and works great, but uh, it's a little ton in cheek where we suggest that you could hold bananas with it. So this is what we call our uni connector. <clears throat> this was originally designed for people that liked our system but want to use the 12 bottles they have in their kitchen cupboard at home and not adopt our, our integrated bottle. So we've integrated BOA into our system and we have these BOA laces here ah, okay. to expand out. And so um, this is for those guys that want to rotate all the bottles they have but organically it's become really popular with carrying all kinds of other things from tool rolls to extra clothes to food. And the fuel bottles when you're bike packing, that kind of stuff. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when I um, ride, especially in the fall, when uh, it's temperature's very warm when we start riding and we're riding uphill, it gets very cold in the evening when we're riding downhill, I'll thread another jacket in here on top of my water bottle to carry it uphill for me. And then I pull it out, put the jacket on, bottle's still secure, and ride down with it. Mm -hmm. um, also, we have... Uh, one of our other technologies we call the Push Family. We developed this waterproof saddlebag. Um, this is a 600 milliliter capacity, uh, waterproof fabric, waterproof zipper, uh, reflective logo, and also a, a light for a, a loop, tail light loop attachment. And of course, it's magnetic, locks mechanically, uh, with a discrete saddle base that attaches to the saddle rails underneath the saddle. And this is great for people that access their uh, saddlebag a lot whether they commute and have their phone and wallet in here or they have multiple bikes and they fill this with a tube co2 tools and they want to move it from their road bike to their gravel bike to their mountain bike we have spare bases so you can carry a base on each saddle and move this uh, bag as you need it um, we also have the same design available in a 400 milliliter capacity and that'll be that's uh we'll debut in the U.S. in 30 days, more or less. Hi, my name is Tom Brady. I'm with Light in Motion from Marina, California. Uh, we're going to go through our bike line today. Um, um, the first ultra high powered taillight, um, first um, all-in-one high powered trail light, which is patented. Um, that's what you'll see from anyone else. Um, and we've got multiple patents and the list goes on and on. But it's a crowded market since so, so 30 years ago you, you weren't yeah. that many brands doing what you were doing but now it's a crowded market so yeah so we keep we keep innovating you know everyone uh, has been driving lumens 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 and you can have a lot of light power it's what you do with it and what you, how you focus it and drive it and that's what we really focused on um, so there's a lot of you know big you know big high lumen lights out there but they don't focus the light so they don't have the impact and that's really what we do so um, you know, our beam patterns, um, the way we throw light, the way we shape the light, um, that's how we can have a really small light do a lot of, a lot of things. So um, that's where, you know, we, we're different. Um, the other thing is we have a team of engineers. Um, we have a whole team, everything's done in-house. Um, so we design everything from the, the chips to the design of the, the light itself, um, what the LEDs are gonna be, 
um, and everything's done in-house and then we we build the tooling and we build it in our facility so it's all done right there and so all we do is lights you know there's a lot of companies out there that they do lights and racks and fenders and all this other stuff um, we're focused on this and you know we're we're a leader in in uh, you know three different categories with dive bike and and camera so um, and that's how we really differentiate ourselves just keeping ahead doing new and inv- innovative things um, and really driving for what the customer wants um, so um, one of the things back a ways um, everyone started talking about lumen power and lights um, and everyone's saying oh this light is you know a thousand lumens this lights 2,000 lumens this lights 800 lumens well our our owner um, didn't didn't believe them and actually started testing lights and we found that a lot of them were were not accurate so we actually have a website called we test lights so you can go on there and you can actually compare bike lights and dive lights and, and photo lights to see what the actual run times and the power level light uh, are here. So this is an example of that. This is from our website. So you can see our light holds at what we say it's going to do at 1,200 lumens. Um, and then it gets to a point where in the firmware says, okay, it's time to shut down a little bit. And then we and then we give you a little more run time. Um, the bond tracker is really unstable. And then it stabilizes a little bit and then it gets really unstable again, um, probably because of heat. And then it fades off pretty pretty quickly. So, you know, what they're saying is, um, you know, at at 1200 lumens um, or, or 1500 lumens is actually a lot lower. And that's what we found is a lot of companies, they, they claim a, a lumen rating of X and it quickly drops off to almost 30 or 40% of what it was um, supposed to be. So you're actually not getting what, you, what you're paying for. So um, this is something across the line that we're really, really adamant about. Um, so we actually have a Lumisphere on site. We've you know, spent tens of thousands of dollars to have the hardware and software so we can test these lights and make sure that not only that our lights are what we expect, but you know what's going on in the marketplace. And we actually have companies um, send us their lights. Could you test them and put them on your website? Because we're validating you know what their lights are, are doing. So, um, and then all of our lights for for light and motion are waterproof. So not just weather weather resistant, but IP67. So um, 30 30 minutes in a meter of water. Um, so, you know, we've been doing dive lights, so we're like, why not? Like, we can do it. So we always make all our lights um, waterproof. So the Northwest, they love our lights. <laughs> Pouring rain, that sort of thing. Um, and then they're all drop tested. So we make sure that they're going to hold up. So, you know, bikes and people are crashing, things like that. Make sure they're going to be durable and, and, and withstand um, the abuse that bikes go through, unfortunately. <laughs> so your, your line is going to be the 24-hour guys, the lights they need, through to commute lights. Yep, everything. We cover everything. So, um, so starting with our trail lights, um, the, the the Mac Daddy is the Seca. So we do a 2500 and a 2000. Um, the interesting thing about our trail lights is that we have um, we have a specific um, uh, light pattern. So um, it's enhanced trail sight. And, and what we do is we actually have a dual a dual lens. So you have high you've got spots that are throwing way down the, tr- the trail, and then down low you've got floods that are that are lighting your front tire and across and out. So those two meet and connect to give you this great throw of light. So you have a very natural riding experience. You're not chasing this big snowball light like a lot of people experience. And that's the problem is that people that's their experience riding at night. It's like eh, you know, like they don't know this is there. So this is. This is really, you know, it's, it's unique to us, um, and we really, ex, you know, provide this experience that really makes riding at night, you know, 
just as fun and, and just as easy and you know, you're not surprised on the trail. So, and that's what's really neat about it. So you get this, you know, really more natural, wide, um, you don't have these black holes um, that gives you a really good, good experience. So the Seca has that and then also um, the Taz. So the Taz is a, a patented design. It's um, an all-in-one so the battery is on board. So it's a rechargeable um, lithium battery. It has the enhanced trail sight, the ETS. Um, so it gives you this great throw of color. But the great thing is, is that um, you don't have the external battery like the Seca. So you have a 2000 lumen light all wrapped up in one package. So in headlights, um, these are really important. And, and so we, we designed this light and we're the only company that makes it. So you have the Viz 360. So um, you've got a 600 lumen light up front. You have a 25 lumen light in the back with a really powerful lens. So it throws about a kilometer, two kilometers down the, down the road. Um, and then you also have side lights. So 70% um, of the accidents on roads are side impact, people getting T-boned. Um, so, um, and usually at night you've got light going forward, light going backward, but you have nothing to the side. So we, on all of our lights, you'll notice they all have side lights. Um, we do this on all of I've our lights, so you've got this big throw of light to the side so that um, people can see you. Um, the, um, the great thing about this is it's really lightweight and really balanced, so you don't feel it. You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't want to have a, a, a light on my helmet because it's top heavy, it feels weird. This feels really natural, adds very little late weight to the, the helmet. Mm -hmm. um, and the great thing is it's just easy, quick, um, on-off. Up on and off. So you can go charge it. You don't, if you don't need it, you know, you, you can just leave the, that on there. Um, it's easy to pop, you know, back on and off really easy. Um, and, uh, you know, super simple. But, you know, just like all cars now have a third block brake light up high, this is what you got here. So, you know, when you're commuting and you're in a throw of cars, you know, all your bike lights are down at the car level and they're essentially getting blocked or in that light noise, right? So your bike, your headlight, your tail light, they're all in that, that car noise. All of a sudden you put something up high, you've got this upper light profile that's literally in the, in the driver's, you know, driver's eyes. Um, same thing here, like if you're driving, you know, coming through an intersection, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna see you. The side lights are up high, you got a headlight up high. So, um, so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and then, so, this thing needs to be charged, but um, so you can see the side lights, amber side lights. And then um, we do instead of blinking lights and flashing lights, blinking lights and flashing lights are actually detrimental and dangerous because motorists don't have good depth perception against those. The, the, the mind can't process where that is because there's not enough information. Um, so what they found is that um, people close, close the distance on those lights faster than they think. Um, so you get incidents of accidents and things like that. They actually did research with highway patrolmen. They put a, a static blinking red light down the road and they asked them, what is that light doing? Half of them thought the light was going away. Half of them thought the light was coming towards them. So um, they've also seen more incidents with flashing lights on snow plows in the winter, um, getting hit if they have flashing lights. Um, and then you'll notice that like highway patrol and stuff, um, they don't have flash, their flashers on when they're on the side of the road. They either have a, a roll bar sending people to the left or they've got static lights on because the same thing people just drive along they see those flashing lights and they they plow right into their patrol car causing causing an accident so this is our our safe pulse so just notice that it 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 doesn't it's not seconds it's pulsing and then there's a little flicker to catch your attention um so there's always some light on um you don't have these 
pulses of light, or this blinking light, it's this, this soft on and off pulse that gets the attention and there's a little flicker just And to, that, that's hurting my eyes even in full daylight. In, in full yeah. daylight. This is, a, this, is the most, this is the brightest taillight in the industry. So we don't mess around. Next up, I spoke with Laurie Barrett of Rota. So we actually just launched a 13-speed group set. So we're here and we have different brand partners that we're also kind of highlighting. Um, obviously, we're enjoying the beautiful weather and, you know, the consumers that will come through. We're, you know, we're introducing Rotor product. So Rotor Bike Components, we're based out of Spain. We were founded in the 80s over there. Mm. We're pretty well known in Europe. We're far more, you know, like developmental in North America. And so our job in North America is, you know, explaining the brand to the North American customer. A lot of what I end up doing, because we end up being a very technical brand, uh, on the product side, very product focused, is trying to simplify the brand messaging and translate it to a North American, you know, kind of customer base. So that's a large part of what we're doing. So are you doing all four? Or is this your first one? Because it's four this events? will probably be the only one we do. We have our event calendar. We're a small team in North America, so we pick and choose. We, of course, do Sea Otter. Mm-hmm. This year we're adding Crankworks. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll also be, because we have a bunch of World Cup um, mountain bike teams, so mm-hmm. we'll also be at Mont St. Anne. And then there's a UCI World Cup race right after that. We'll also be at the EWS at Whistler and North Star in Northern California. So we had to have all of these um, these kind of uh, events that we're supporting athletes with. And then we do a few more consumer-facing ones, like, say, Philly Bike Expo we'll be at in the uh, greater New York area in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this will be the only one. This is our fun, you know, fun, friendly, like, let's high-five people, you know, hang out with our brand partners, and then, like, you know, maybe ride some bikes if we're lucky. So are you putting people out on your stuff? Some, but we only have a couple of demo bikes, so, you know, mostly, like, we're we're letting people ride them, but they're, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's more about like kind of explaining the brand to people and then letting them go pedal around. I mean, we have a mosaic and a moots for uh, okay. for <laughs> I know. So they're wonderful brand partners like us. They make um, more of a bespoke product and um, handmade. And um, you know, since we manufacture in Spain, it's uh, you have like a big focus on quality. Okay, you're talking about a group set, so Mm -hmm. am I looking at it? So yeah, you're looking at a couple different versions. Um, uh, It's a single long cage rear derailleur. First of all, it's the world's first 13-speed group set. So it's kind of an interesting step forward there. Of course, on road bikes, we're used to having a front derailleur. And this is the first group that functionally allows you to get rid of your front derailleur if you were to choose, right? So um, it's a long cage rear derailleur that you can either pair with a mountain bike shifter or a road bike shifter. So it's kind of interesting that way. It's a hydraulic actuated group set. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's lighter. It's a closed system. So it's not subject to contaminants like winter debris, you know, cable stretch, friction, that sort of thing. Um, very low maintenance, set and forget. You never like touch it again. Obviously no batteries or anything like that. Um, it's, uh, it's got a clutch mechanism. So that keeps, you know, that keeps the chain in contact uh, better since you have a range of cassettes that can get quite big. Anyway, yeah, it's meant to be kind of multifunctional. We see, like here, we're mostly kind of showing it as a gravel product because I think that's a really exciting use. Mountain bike, yes, it's an additional cog. We have a 1052 cassette. It's 314 grams, which is just ridiculously light. Um, But the gravel application, you can actually ditch your front derailleur, have your full gear range, and all your steps that you would have with a 2x11 system. I see you OE. 
Aftermarket? How yeah. are you? How so are you? we're both. Um, we are. So we just launched it for Aftermarket in April. And so we're now shipping them. But like a lot of the OE cycles, of course, are a little longer. So we're talking with, you know, some bigger brands. And if that's, you know, matriculates, then that'll mean 2021. We have brand partnerships with them. But we're also, again, because we're high-end focused on a customer that wants something uh, handcrafted and beautiful, um, we are also, we're working with kind of key, um, you know, like more custom manufacturers, which is the reason that we have, like, say, the Moots and the Mosaic, right? So, yeah. All of the above, I guess. And when was it launched? So April, well, we showed it the at Eurobike, Eurobike yeah. mm-hmm, uh, last year, and then we started shipping it in April of this year. I said, that was my next question. So these are physically available. Yeah, these yeah. are not. Yeah. This is not. Uh-huh. This, uh huh. Right this here, is, this is Adrian's bike uh, that he will be riding, and we just got this group set in. I don't know, two days ago, and uh, <laughs> are building it up for him so he can ride it on some uh, gravel stuff here. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's really exciting. And what uh, price point are we talking here? So you can buy the 12-speed version of it for 2200 and that includes crank, ring, shifter, brake, derailleur, cassette, right? Um, the 13-speed, we changed the hub plan spacing slightly. It's built around 12-speed spacing. Sorry to get, like, tech nerdy. but uh, And so you need a, uh, a little bit different hub. And so with the hubs, it starts at 2800 US dollars. And then uh, you can build that into whatever wheel. We also can set you up with wheels as well. Power meters, you know, you can, it's, it's a modular system. So we really wanted to go deeper into kind of the compatibility story. So functionally, because the interface is the same on this road crank, um, you can run down to a 26 tooth mountain bike ring up to a 54 tooth, you know, one by road ring. I mean, so that whole range is compatible. And like with, um, you can either pick a regular road spindle, an offset spindle. Um, if it's on the mountain bike, you know, it's boost or super boost or standard. I mean, anyway, it's kind of neat because you can set it up to, to fit exactly what you're trying to build out. So many other companies mm-hmm. have tried to break into this mm-hmm. space yep. and it's, even Campagnolo, yeah, like yeah. Amino, compared no, totally. to, to, to the other two. So where do you see yourself fitting in with those monolithic companies who everybody yeah. else is specking because it's just the easiest thing to do? It's the easiest and it's the cheapest. We're manufacturing mm. on the Euro. My joke is, if you like fair trade coffee, can I present fair trade bike parts? Like, you know, but it's something people don't think about and they also often don't realize they have the option for, right? And so we're introducing it. So we're we're a baby, you know, but we're also we're also going only for the high end. You know what? I mean, like Shimano does an incredible job with a 105 group set. Like SRAM does a great job with a for, or force or a rival group set. Like we're not trying to compete in that space. That's uh, they do such a fantastic job. How could we do that? Manufacture it on the euro and, you know, and beat them at their own game. No, we just, you know, that's theirs. They'll own it. And we want to work with people that are looking for a different kind of product, you know, that are really going for top of the line performance. We try and use more durable uh, materials. We're like, not to get too deep into like nerdy material science, but like the, uh, we use a seven series aluminum for most everything. Our road chain rings have always had a lifetime warranty against wear. Uh, You can wear them out. You will probably wear out your bicycle first, you know, like there was just another guy in here who was a former pro road rider and he's actually riding rotor oval chain ring, which is pretty cool. 
Um, he's had the same set for the last four years. And he, the penny didn't drop with him until I said that thing about, you know, the chain rings lasting so much longer. And he's like, you're right, you know? And so the idea is that we'll make a better product and people will appreciate it for the durability and the craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it going to be, are we going to be a billion-dollar company, you know, next year? No. But, I mean, is that the expectation? Also, no. <laughs> so, are we succeeding in carving out, like, a tiny chunk of the market? Yes. And, I mean, and the Spanish, they don't want to make a Me Too product. That's the way they say it. We don't want to make a Me Too product. So, scare quotes. Um, but they want to really innovate. And that's part of the feedback, for instance, that we got with the 13-speed because... It is the first group set that makes a front derailleur optional. So a function, functionally, a 2 by 11 group set, because of gear overlap, you functionally only have 14 gears. And if you're going to go through them sequentially, you would shift up and down in front a dozen times. And nobody does that. So you end up making kind of bigger jumps as you just kind of mostly shift in the back. And so we're able to even that out and give you the full gear range. So it's kind of a cool revolutionary product that way. Okay. Where are you in Spain? Madrid, mm-hmm. just outside of Madrid, Ahavir. Mm-hmm. So, and you go across? Oh, yeah. yeah. You go across there a, long time, a lot of times? Um, so I go usually three or four times a year. Um, and then I go to Asia once a year just for the Taichung Bike Week. Even though we don't manufacture there, we have OE partners that assemble there. Mm-hmm. So we also, of course, have an Asian office that coordinates you know, shipment of product into Asia and assembly for manufacturers that manufacture there. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fun. Wonderful. Thank the you. home offices are great. I mean, it's cool. It's a like this is product that like they want to make it. Like I have a 1052 cassette right here. So this is milled out of a single piece of seven series aluminum, bonded to a single piece of hardened steel. It fits on a standard Shimano HG Freehub body, which is shocking. This is a 13 speed cassette. It weighs 314 grams. It's about 60 grams lighter than the lightest 12-speed cassette out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so, and if you look at it, it's beautifully crafted. And also, we've been doing road cassettes like this for a long time with the steel and the aluminum, and uh, they wear like iron. It's great. But I mean, so people get excited because it's uh, it's an improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just uh, I don't know, not just shaving grams. It's actually significant steps forward in durability and/or performance. So, Rota are from Spain. Uh, Hunt Wheels, who we'll hear from in a moment, uh, are from the UK. But here, in a brand that didn't travel too far at all, is Cassie Abel from Wild Rye. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Wild Rye. Um, we are a Sun Valley-based women's mountain apparel brand, and we're dedicated to bringing women well-fitting, beautiful, and technical apparel. So, so. why Sun Valley? Why you- so, Do you live here or? Yeah, so my background, I was in-house at Smith Optics as the global communications uh, so manager. Ketchum when they moved. For a number of years and then they relocated to Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I, after much stress and hemming and hawing and trying to decide what to do with my life, decided to stay here. And so I actually run a PR and marketing consulting business, but then also co-founded Wild Rye. And um, I co-founded Wild Rye with my former business partner who was based out of Lake Tahoe, California. And I've always been here. I ended up buying out my business partner at the start of 2019 and moved everything, all operations, all design, all everything to Sun Valley, Idaho. So. so is that kind of common when when Smith Optics left and an awful lot of people did go with them, but then... 
yeah, so, stayed here. You, why um, would you want to move away from here? So has that led to more outdoor kind of companies and bike companies been spawned from that? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, a, you know, a handful of people have moved to Smith. A lot of us stayed. And honestly, a lot of people have moved back since the move to Portland. Just kind of a different uh, yeah, climate. It's, it's just different um, and different lifestyle. And, you know, it's really hard to beat the Sun Valley lifestyle. Um, and yeah, I would say that, I mean, honestly, I equated the move to a wildfire. Super devastating at first. And then the regrowth is just really, really beautiful. So, um, you know, everyone who ended up staying here or has since moved back has done something really cool with their talents. Started consulting businesses, joined other growing brands, helping to bring them to the next level. So yeah, it's been a, I mean, it's sad to see those big brands leave and we'd never encourage that or wish that, but uh, it's really great seeing what people have done with their their talents. Uh-huh. And then Wild Rye is available nationally, internationally. Mm-hmm. What's your distribution model? So we're predominantly a North American brand. However, we do sell direct to consumer internationally. So it's, it's just uh, via our website, which is wild-rye.com. And you do sell internationally, so people are finding it from Instagram, and how are people finding you? Yeah, Instagram, through PR hits, word of mouth. I mean, there's not many people, if anyone, doing what we're doing um, in the mountain bike space. So, so you know, tell me about that then. So your USPs, what are your... What are yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, our number one priority is fit. I mean, women are... You know, our, we have different shaped bodies. We're harder to fit. Um, historically, a lot of mountain bike brands had adapted a men's short to fit mm-hmm. women, which just didn't work. Um, number two is technical. So technical materials, performance features, sort of considered design features that really work for women. For example, our side leg pocket, um, our zipper pocket, is big enough to fit an iPhone Plus. Uh, doesn't sound that important, but... Especially, I don't know, I mean, especially for women, like, te- uh, historically shorts have had really small, unusable pockets on the side. And so that's been really great for us. Um, we use belt loops instead of waist fasteners that lead to extra bulk. Um, we use performance materials, so our flagship product, the Frail Short, is a nylon four-way stretch. And then we're just introducing a new polyelastane blend short to bring a lower price point option um, to our line. And then our third priority is contemporary styling. So, you know, not like overly girly, but with a feminine touch. So um, we look to the outdoor and bike industry, of course, but we also look to the fashion industry to see what colors are trending. Um, You know, some playful patterns that aren't too in your face, but um, playful yet sophisticated. So Mm -hmm. those are some of our primary tenants. And then also just, I mean, a big thing about our brand that's unique is we're not about the races. We're not about the, um, not to say we don't support women that do race. Um, We're not about like the fastest people necessarily. We're about celebrating however you enjoy mountain biking, Um, about the community, about the snack breaks, about the laughs, the photos, sort of the whole journey and experience of getting on your bike with friends which has been really, really great because um, while there's some phenomenal elite athletes in the mountain bike space, no question, um, 
the bulk of us women are riding for fun with our friends. And I feel that a lot of the marketing of the past has been fairly alienating to those women. Too sporty? Yeah, just a little too aggressive. You know, it's intimidating. It's, it's, and we want to be really welcoming and, and encourage new women to try it and, you know, celebrate the little failures along the way, you know, falling off your bike and getting back on, and that's part of biking. My final two interviews are with Zach Spinhern Martin of Viathon. Have you heard of that brand before? It's actually a Walmart brand, but not how you think a Walmart brand would look or perform like. And after Zach, uh, we have got folks from the UK from Hunt Wheels. Zach, we are here at Outer Bike Stroke uh, Crank Tank Summit, and this is a brand that I'm not aware of, but it's a, a Walmart brand. So tell me about Walmart and Biathlon. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, recruited to work coming to Walmart about two years ago, two and a half years ago now. And um, I was brought in to, to kind of raise the game and what uh, Walmart can deliver in terms of bikes. So with that, um, I developed the Viathon brand and um, in order to reach a higher-end customer and provide a higher-end product. Um, you know, Walmart already is the largest retailer for bikes in America by a good margin. Um, and so we already service everybody you know with the walmart stores walmart online most of like 99 percent of america walks into a walmart store every week um so it's we have the great potential to reach every a larger subset of the american population than any bike shop or any other brand so i was looking to um raise bicycle awareness within the total united states and that was kind of the whole concept um of viathoners to try and help <coughs> be able to have our brand that we can show customers the general populace of America that there is a better bike out there there are higher end bikes and what makes them different what makes them worth their time and money to purchase because if you know I think about my family my my cousins and, and people who don't bike they're like why would you buy a bike that's over $200 that's just crazy you're gonna it's gonna sit in the backyard and rust but when they actually go ride my bikes they're amazed about how comfortable they are how well they work and how um, fun they are and so my mind with coming to Walmart is to how to how to grow biking within the United States by making making it easier for more people to reach to reach the bikes. But these these are direct consumer bikes. So these are not something that you walk into a Walmart store and, and walk out with. Correct. So it's, it's the canyon model. Yes. So I, I work for e-com, Walmart e-com, and I come from an e-commerce bike driven background. So I um, it's easier it's it's faster for me to expand our bike offering online than it is to go into stores stores it's a really big machine with four or the, over four thousand stores so to build out i can build concept proof of concept online and then push over time into stores but that's that's tbd and then walmart has a bike connection like a high-end bike connection with is it the grandsons mm. of the founder who i mean bentonville Correct. Uh, the the Walton Airs, uh, Stuart and Ben, I believe. Um, they I, I built the whole brand um, without them knowing about it at all. They knew about it um, prior to launch. So I, I happened to meet Stuart in our office in January 2019. So I, I was able to show him a couple pictures and show him some bikes. And he was like, cool. 
so the they're, they're both into mountain biking, yeah. Very, they, very into mountain biking. Very, and, and very they also own. Buildings. I mean, uh, they, yeah, they own Rafa. Yeah, they own RCC, which owns Rafa and Ally, or a large portion of Ally. So, so this is nothing to do with the that connection. This Correct. is all. Nothing this is completely all. separate. Correct. Their their investments are totally separate from Walmart Inc. Even though Stuart's on the board, but their their personal that RCC is a personal investment versus. Okay. Yeah. So describe the kind of bikes you got here. So these are if if we said a Walmart bike, then the the, the image there from people, and what I'm looking at now that if you didn't tell me that was a Walmart bike, I wouldn't know that's a Walmart bike. So these are yeah. high end. They're black. They're sexy looking bikes. So tell me what you've got. So yeah, I wanted to make bikes that I want to ride, and um, so I made a gravel car, all carbon fiber gravel bike, road bike, and mountain bike hardtail. Um, I wanted to make each bike exactly what I would want to ride. So um, the gra- gravel bike, you can it's got the rack mount, fender mounts, uh, tire clearance that you can go do pretty much anything you do on a, on a skinnier-ish tire. Um, the mountain bike's a hardtail, but it's uh, got a more modern cross-country design where it's got a slacker head tube, 2.4-inch clearance in the back for tires, so it's super capable. Um, and the road bike, I wanted it to have... Uh, race-inspired yet confidence uh, for descending, stability for descending geometry. So I, I kind of emulated a couple different bikes I've ridden through the years um, to, to affect that. So it, I made the bikes, they are all raceable, but they're they're not only race-oriented. race, like race oriented. So how much how much are consumers going to be paying for these when they buy them online? So the, like the mountain bike M1 with uh, GX Eagle Grupo and Ariba fork um, stance wheels is 2400 and the 105 road bike and gravel bike are both 2300 and they go up to um, the price with a Durace bike it's 5850 and the, the XX1 with a SID RLC um, mountain bike is 6000 and how long have they been available to consumers? Uh, we launched the brand at Sea Otter 2019 so April 9th so not long. Not we, long. We, we are talking yeah. just a few months. Okay. Yeah. And what are you hoping to do with the brand? And what's 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 the plan? What's the long-term plan? Uh, the long-term plan is to kind of it, to grow the brand a little bit. Um, grow mostly though to grow the the consumer base at Walmart to be able to service high-end bike. Uh, really trying to bring in and grow bike within the U.S. Like, how can I get more bikes in more people's hands? Get more people riding bikes again? There's a lot of different theories but how to get just make it easier for people in today's culture uh, to ride bikes um, and I think that's part of the gravel scene that's why it's exploding right now is it's people are afraid of riding in traffic um, people but not everybody has great trail access but almost everybody has access to dirt roads uh, through all of America okay so you've been at Seattle you are now here at Outer Bike uh, how else are you telling consumers you exist and are you absolutely upfront with Walmart I mean how how is that part of the story that's like you want people to have that wow um, I mean it's we're not definitely not hiding it that is with it's Walmart owned brand Walmart developed brand um, but it's not the the main purpose the or that's not the main main thing the main thing is just the product itself um, the, the product I want the product to stand for itself it's these are high quality very high quality uh, frames and in build spec so I, I want them all to stand by themselves, you know, um, being backed by Walmart is definitely has its own story, but it's not 
the main focal point, really. Um, and telling consumers about how, how the brand exists? How are you, how are you doing that? Uh, through standard media, through online social campaigns, the stand, like every, every which million ways possible you can possibly reach people today. Um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, like doing ad campaigns on, you know, getting by, mostly getting bike reviews with media to get like a third party unbiased opinion. Um, you know, getting, so it's independent, like getting an independent media source to be able to ride the bikes, give their opinion and, and validate that the bikes are quality. And quality with a keen price because Walmart, big, big company can, can source stuff that maybe, I mean, in, a, in bike trade terms, that's, that's massive the buying potential that you've got compared to most yes, bike companies. Yes, it is massive. We are starting really small. So, I mean, we're not um, at scale by any means yet. But, you know, as, few, as we look forward, look into the future, there's bet more and more potential for us to make a better and better deal for people. But you are benefiting from that well, yeah, giant I mean, scale and the, correct. the buying yes, potential. The scale, the shipping, our, our logistics are unparalleled in the bike industry so you're starting small but you Correct. could you could go massive if if you're backed by mm-hmm. and if you're part of uh, of that huge retailer yeah scale scaling quickly is not going to be an issue so it's mostly continuing to, to get the name out get the brand out um and just build the brand itself by as itself and then um with, with the backing of Walmart, we can scale very quickly. And tell me about Zach, then. Where, where have you come from, Zach, in the industry? Uh, I, I worked for 10 years at Competitive Cyclist, which was acquired by Backcountry. Um, uh, so I've been in the industry. I was U.S. national team mechanic for a year um, as I finished up college. I was a bike racer. I you know, went to Belgium for a couple of years and Spain for a year, raced road, um, started out mountain biking with my brother back when in the 90s. So it's... Um, been in bike bikes forever. Um, love bikes. I just I, I want more people to enjoy bike the bike culture and the bike where the bikes can bring you. And how did you get into to this particular? To, to you 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 were kind of like brought on board to develop this brand. So uh, not really to develop this brand necessarily. I pitched the brand, but I, yeah, I was recruited from backcountry into Walmart um, a couple of years ago, and with the intention of. of changing the game for Walmart's e-commerce bike division. Um, so trying to tr- really bring the, a higher level of customer service, higher level of product awareness to the site and to their our offering. And so we, as part as I was going through that uh, with different acquisitions the company had, I found a, a niche where we could create a brand, um, a high quality brand that we would help us get to our end goal of having higher pro- level product on the site more quickly. And so that's that was the impetus behind the brand. And are you based in Bentonville, or are you? I'm based in um, San Bruno. So we've got our e-commerce buildings are split between San Bruno, the Bay Area, and New York in Hoboken, and then we've got like Moose Jaw for Specialty Outdoor in Michigan. We've got home office in Bentonville with like the whole all the trails and all the infrastructure that they're building there, constantly upgrading every day. So we I'm. Uh, you know, then I've got my global sourcing team uh, for all in Walmart imports in China, Shenzhen, Shanghai. So I'm I'm going all over the place all the time. Are we talking U.S. only, or have you got global ambitions here? I'm focusing on U.S. right now. I've already gotten questions for people internationally. Um, you know, we own, we can ship internationally. It's just I'm concerned about customer service because I don't have distributor partners yet globally, uh, besides Walmart Walmart infrastructure. So it's. 
uh, but I want a high level quality ser customer service to, be to begin with, um, and I can control that in the U.S. And as I can partner out in the U.S. around the globe, then I can expand. So by that, do you mean like the mobile mechanics kind of things? You ship to a customer and say, get a mobile mechanic to potentially, yeah. Like if I like we could ship direct to them to make sure that you know you're shipping across the world, the bike's gonna get rattled. Just make sure it's dialed before they ride it. Make sure there's nothing wrong. Most most 99 percent of the time, no problem, but. Just to be sure, you know, like it, I, it's just I just want to make sure the customer gets exactly what they want. And there's nothing wrong on the first ride. Hi, I'm Tom Marchment. Um, I'm one of the co-founders with my brother of uh, Hunt Bike Wheels, and we're, our company's actually called The Rider Firm. So we own Hunt Wheels, um, and yeah, we're here at Impact Media Summit to kind of one of the big things here is we're launching a wheel set that we've tested using kind of industry standard wind tunnel testing is the world's fastest wheel up to and including 50 millimeters for disc brake road bikes so um so yeah it's, it's pretty busy at the moment so we're going to get on to the actual products in a, in a second but tell me a bit more about where you've come from because you had an inner tube yep website and <laughs> yep. I, I bought from that that okay that that's cool yeah, yeah yeah so how did you go from uh, a, uh an inner tube web shop to what i see here yeah um I mean, it may seem, it's as about six years ago, Pete launched innertubeshop.com, um, so as, as I mentioned, my brother. Um, and that was in the garage when he was living in my house in the spare room. Um, and it was, it was literally, that was your first step into starting a business. And obviously we were both riders um, and everyone at the rider firm pretty much rides bikes. You know, that's a big core focus. And you just saw a problem to solve for riders there where you wanted to help make it easy for people to find the right inner tube but also at a relatively you know competitive package and at the time no one else really did that people were charging quite a lot for inner tubes and i think pete just saw that and said well i can help people and just do things a little bit differently innovate but step by step learn how to do that um and then when i, I my history was in the bike industry working um for upgrade bikes which would be decent sized distributor in the uk um previous to that i was in a bike shop um um, and they they also own some own brands at Upgrade where they develop products, bikes and wheels and things like that. Um, and also then I worked for a distributor called iRide who distributes a lot of high-end road and mountain bike products. Um, things like Speedplay, Argon 18, um, Colnar, oh, sorry not Colnar, um, DeRosa, um, and Fulcrum Wheels, Token Wheels, um, 3T product as well. Um, and obviously previously Reynolds at Upgrade. So we kind of... I left iRide in 2014 um, and started with Pete and we kind of saw an opportunity where maybe other people weren't serving riders, especially with the wheels that most people want to use every day. We, most of us would maybe have one or two sets of carbon wheels, but we definitely saw a lot of opportunity in alloy wheels. But overall, we saw the capability to bring and push things forward for riders like us. We just wanted slightly better products. One of the big things for us was tubeless, uh, maybe using the best triple-butted spokes, using better... Um, better bearings and things like even the cassettes uh, freer bodies you know we all pretty much choose wheels with alloy freer bodies because they're a bit lighter but quite often you get getting cassette digging um, in most of those so we were saying that you know all these little things need to be think thought about so and that's really how we started it and just started working with mason on one of the wheels as well as our rim brake wheels because um, they at the time it doesn't seem that long ago but 2014 2015 there weren't many disc brake bikes out there and there were not very many options for road disc brake wheels uh, at sensible price and at the kind of weights you could build a 29 a mountain bike xc race disc wheel but you know we knew we could do that for for road four season disc 
type bikes and that's where it came from that's where it took off to and now we've got 36 people i think working some part-time some full-time um some incredible like experience in the company with louisa um coming from campagnolo fulcrum and 3t previous to that about 10 years of previous to coming to us testing and developing wind tunnel in the wind tunnel aerodynamic wheels um, and then also some other incredible people from the bike industry in the UK and a load of people who are coming in enthusiastic to just serve riders and that's what it's about. So are you an international company or are you, are you like, are you an English company? Where, where are you? So where, where's your, where in your headspace? So in our headspace, we're based in the UK, but we serve riders around the world. Um, I mean, I guess a very simple way to look at it is, you know, there's a few companies now that obviously are um, doing very well for, for serving riders with an incredible product that's engineered at the, at the you know, the best level, winning at top world events, but serving in a, a kind of a slightly more direct way. Um, and we're that for wheels, really, and we feel like we're kind of the leader in that area. We did it before anybody else did. There's obviously quite a few other people having a go at that now, but we took that step first and we're innovating ahead of everyone else in that area, really. And now we're at the level where we're now, originally we were competitive and in a group test we would almost kind of like most of the time win the group test against other people because our products are incredibly well specced um, for what you were paying for them but now we're at the level where we saw we could push to the point where we had world leading product regardless of what the price is um, and that's where we're moving now with the engineering side of what we do and obviously Pete's a material scientist who went to Cambridge University Louise has a MSc in um, aerospace engineering and lots of knowledge in composites. Our father is um, a materials engineer, chartered materials engineer, and worked in composites. So there's an awful lot of knowledge, and also he knows a lot about aluminium materials and things like that. There's a lot of knowledge that goes into that product, but also a load of us are riders, and we know how to, we can see the trends coming, and we're so close to the customer because we're responding to people on Facebook, social media, but to dealing with those orders and speaking to those customers every day. We don't have a separation of three, four, five layers between us and the customer. We do work with local bike shops and they can definitely purchase from us, but we, we have a consolidated business model. So, and we want to work with good local bike shops who want good product to serve their riders with. So, but we obviously have a, a, a pretty efficient business model as well. So and we see that as the way forward. It's kind of a multi-channel, but not costing the rider more um, to achieve that so that makes sense okay let's bring louisa in then so uh, i was explaining some of your 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 background there but you can tell me that again so how did you get involved with with hunt well um, when i should say when it was two two years ago that i approached them because i i'm an aerospace engineer so i started a long long time ago in an aerospace company in italy but yeah i was really bored of what i was doing i was doing uh, stress analysis on the fuselage of the seven eight seven boring project but that was really boring i have to say it was like i couldn't even see what was the component i was working on so at that time already i was approached by 3t cycling so i spent five years with them then i was i moved to campagnolo and i've been working with the r d department uh in campagnolo but then i was starting to know i mean the industry was talking about these guys in uk doing cool stuff being like so close to the riders and the, what the what people like me want because we are as tom said we are all riders so we we know the needs of our riders because we simply know our needs and we want to do something good for ourselves before so i approached them and said look i i really would love to to work with you because you look 
cool you do cool stuff and I have some really cool idea in mind that we could really achieve together and make that possible so as soon as I just joined them it was August two years ago we went straight to the wind tunnel the first time and we starting to put down ideas on this model and then it became I mean now after two years it's it's something real through and yeah we we did a lot of we patented an idea on this we have filed a patent for making this project possible and we've been doing a lot of testing wind tunnel riding tests and we I mean we've been working together in a great way that's the thing we had ideas we were talking together putting down uh, yeah and then something it was interesting because you were surprised that we weren't limited in what we were yeah, willing exactly. to try I could <laughs> I, I could do in like two years what in other companies it's a long time process you know because you need to prove your ideas you need to be sure you need to convince people of the innovation this product is completely new it's a 34 millimeter wide rim and okay now people company like 3t came out with a 32 but we we were we already been working on that so it was cool to know that okay that's the direction to go and we we took a bit more time because we wanted to validate the project and doing more testing and we had this patent on so we wanted to be sure about the um, the manufacturing process of uh, combining this uh, polymer this low density polymer into the rim because I said I, this rim is 34.3 millimeter wide but the internal class of the rim is a conventional one is just 22.5 so you could put on this wheel 23 millimeters tire 25 there are no limitation on tire compatibilities but yeah to achieve that we could have done that in a conventional way adding a lot of carbon prepreg materials and that would have caused us a lot of weight so we started to think about a possibility of making lighter rims or anyway trying to feel the additional part of the material with not structural material where it, it's not needed so we um, together with the supplier we are working we put down this idea of a co-mold a low density expanded polymer into the side of the rim so what is is doing what we are doing with this rim we cure the rim twice we make the rim um, uh, with a first curing process and, and sorry process. obviously you can't see the rim yeah the exactly <laughs> and it comes out of the mode like this with this groove on the outside then we put the, mm, the low density polymer into this groove and we post cure it again and what comes out is this is a normal rim but the weight is 50 gram less of what we would have achieved with a normal process of using all carbon prepregs and we patented this idea so now we are just we you cannot file find the patent because it's, it's filed so we will have 18 months to be published but we are now covered no one could do this in, in, and yeah, we, we've been doing a lot of tests. Last time we went to the wind tunnel just two weeks ago and we've been testing this rim against great competitors like Zip and Envy and DT Swiss, Mavic and we are the best so far under 50 millimeters rim. And th this is the wheel that's, yeah, that's, that's launching is, today? Yes, exactly. This okay. is the 48 limitless 
I'm spelling right. Yeah, yeah the, I'm always the 48 limitless is easy. Yeah, yeah, limitless for me is a hard word oh, yeah. to say <laughs> because, of course, I'm not English. Well, that's, like, that's my next question. Actually, yeah. are you still based in Italy? Are no, you, no, no, no. I moved to no, no. I moved to England two years ago, and yeah, that was another reason I really wanted to. I mean, since I was like uh, 18, I wanted to go to UK because London was like my place. And finally, I said, "Oh, cool! These guys are even in a better place because I live in Brighton. So Brighton is cooler than London because it's smaller. You know, you can and say, like, wow, that's great! I can do what I like for my." work and I can live in UK and Brighton but there's a B word there's a Brexit word uh, how, yeah. how does that <laughs> well, we don't like you guys uh, yeah I know but you know what uh, they are nice as well I mean English people are anyway nice so they want us no but I guess I, I won't have any problem because you know I will be part of the high qualified skilled people you cannot kick at no, off, so. Aerospace engineers come before fruit pickers. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah. So we, we actually um, do have several um, probably, people employed from the EU, and probably Brexit uh, won't happen at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's what we're hoping. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you know, it really once once people are based here and working, we don't. We've looked into it a bit because obviously we're worried for those people. So actually, see what their future is and what our future with them is. But it looks fairly secure I, I, if you're here and working well. I tell you something really funny. I was doing the check-in for tomorrow and they didn't allow me to do the check-in because they cannot check my... I'm not granted to stay in UK. For them, I'm an Italian working. Oh, okay. I have no idea, so I need to figure out what's going on tomorrow <laughs> at the airport. But yeah, I'm and not supposed to. So yeah, yeah, probably they are scared of what she's doing, what she wants to, to do in UK. But yeah, that's. Uh, but yeah, it's been interesting because Brighton. It may not appear the most obvious place to run a business like ours, but obviously there's quite a good cycling culture there, and I think, you know, especially cycling industry. It combines quite an amazing kind of lifestyle by the sea and there's that alternative culture and, you know, progressive feeling about Brighton. But also, we've got South Downs on the doorsteps. And clearly, we're stood by like 7,000, 8,000 foot mountains here. So it's about a tenth of the height. But they're pretty steep and there's some amazing trails and amazing lanes and riding around there. And it's definitely been a part of what's created a great culture of people at our place and people excited to ride bikes. So, you know, whilst it, it... in small old England, especially southeast of England, doesn't always appear as an amazing cycling destination. Actually, and we've got some incredible gravel, you know, links around us as well. So, miss, you know, a really good combination. I miss climbing because, yeah, you cannot really climb that much where we are. But I have to say that it's a constant up and down, which sometimes is even tougher because I'm, yeah, I'm not the powerful guy. I was good in climbing, so I could get my advantage when I was climbing. But it's not that easy cycling in that area in in England so yeah it's it's not bad let's, let's talk about where we are now so we are in Sun Valley we are surrounded as you just said there by some beautiful high mountains there's, there's lift uh, access up there which you definitely don't have lift access in yeah, we in, in, in Brighton yeah. we haven't had a chance to ride it we've been working too hard on look, getting the white paper ready but uh, we're hopefully going to get a chance it's some <laughs> amazing riding yeah. around here I've been here a few times now uh, how big is the American market for you and is that why you're here to expand on that market or are you... It's, it's definitely a significant part of what we do already. Um, obviously we're a small company and in a way we kind of slightly fly under the radar so we don't necessarily want to give everybody else a lot of figures about what we do um, but yeah definitely we see good opportunities over here as good riders, they appreciate what we do already. Um, they are a pro- progressive in their riding choices and styles and looking forward to how they can explore more and enjoy their bike riding more. So for us, what we do and the way we think about things 
clearly seems to serve them, but also we want to learn more about how to serve them better. Um, so Ken's just started with us based in California. Um, and yeah, we're going to do everything we can to learn more about American riders so that we can continue to serve British riders, which is who we are and where we're based serve Europeans really well we already have a good market and in other areas of the world as well but definitely America for anybody in the bike industry would be slightly naive not to look at America as an important place to to serve serve customers I think so and is there some product that you're going to be keeping EU and going to be some for US what what does the US need maybe different to to UK EU definitely the US has gravel and adventure was an area that we probably had the first in the world to have gravel specific wheels um, and other people have followed that trend but the US was a place where that's really taken off quickly 650B definitely um, you know we see very strong sales for, for 650B in, in the USA so um, but yeah also obviously road is big here but mountain bike is obviously a very big area as well in, in America but we don't have a huge amount of product yet even though actually most of us are mountain bikers originally we started in road and cyclocross um, but We've definitely got some um, new products coming in in mountain bike side as well, so should be some exciting things over here for that. And another area that obviously you would probably be not surprised to know is Louisa's got a lot of experience in aerodynamics, and Ken also, who obviously just started in America, has been to the Ironman World Championships, so you know, some of that knowledge combined together would not make sense for us to ignore the opportunities there as well in, in triathlon and, and, and deeper section aero where we can serve riders for that. So. Thanks to all the brand reps who talked with me there at Crank Tank's Impact Media Summit in Sun Valley, Idaho. All the URLs you'll need to get more info on those brands can be found in the show notes at www.the-spokesmen.com. Thanks to you for listening to what was almost a two-hour show. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the 219 previous ones, please take a few seconds to rate the show on iTunes, if that's where you catch your podcasts. Meanwhile, get out there and ride. <laughs>